Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power of weakness head on me. Free, 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 free. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy, recovery author, blogger, and podcast host. I've been chronicling my adventures in life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety a decade ago in my blog Unpickled and in the books that I write. You can find them at jeanmccarthy.ca. I tell my stories there, and I hold space for your stories here. And today I'm holding space for Sherry Hoppin. Sherry is the organizer and founder of She Surrenders, a website and a group for women in recovery. And she has been on the show before. She shared her story in January of 2019. So be sure you check out that episode. She's here today to talk about her new book, a memoir called Sober Cycle. And she joins me today. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Jean. It is so great to be back here with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. You and I could probably do a 24-hour talk channel where we only, you know, take commercial breaks so we can go to the bathroom and get a cup of coffee because... (laughs) I'm with you. you. Yeah. Tell them how long we've already talked. Yeah. So we've been actually talking off air for an hour now before we even started the recording. I normally schedule like five minutes for that. And (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, we have a lot to catch up on always. So we said we're going to schedule something when we don't have to record a podcast. So yes, we'll have to do that to make sure because we had to cut ourselves off already. We had to be disciplined adults about this, but there's always a lot to catch up on. And I think those of us that are verbally inclined, (laughs) when we find another one, we just... (laughs) Yeah, we yeah. we can't help ourselves. Exactly. Uh, well, Sherry, for those who haven't yet heard your previous interview, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your recovery. Okay, so I am a wife, mother of three married children, and we have three grandboys right now, all under the age of five. So it's a little chaotic when we get together, and I know you can relate to being a boy grandma, Jean. So yeah, we enjoy a lot of time together as a family doing many different things in my daily life away from family. I like to write. I love to read. I love to bike. Um, Biking was a big part of my recovery and part of what the book is based on. But my recovery journey um, or recovery story started back in, let's see, I would say 2005 to 2013 were my heavy, heavy hitter drinking years. And 
a time of, you know, doing all the usual, the trying to stop, trying to moderate the lies, the, you know, the deceit, the waking up at 3am. I check, I can check all the boxes of, um, heavy drinking and, um, trying to get sober time after time. And I tried many different kind of crazy things to get sober. One of which kind of where the book starts with, I joined a fundraiser to ride my bike from Michigan to Texas. And I don't say that as someone who was athletic and rode bike all the time anyway. I had no previous biking experience. I was not an athlete by any means. I was in pretty heavy drinking stage then, so I wasn't in the best of health, but I did it. And it was not the magic fix. And that's kind of where the book starts and goes through uh, my journey through that. And finally, in November of 2013, I had my rock bottom come to Jesus moment and I got sober that day and I've never looked back. I'm only looking forward. So I've been sober a little over seven years and now writing and working with other women that are seeking recovery and that are in recovery already. You wrote quite honestly about being in and out of sobriety in the beginning. I mean, once you got it, you got it, but it took you a long time to get there. And there was quite a period of time where you were pretending to be sober and drinking secretly. Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing to be hiding an addiction. It's a, it's another thing to be hiding your addiction when people think you're sober. Can you talk about how that felt when you were living it and then how it felt to write about it? When I was living it, looking back, and that's that's a great question because there's so much dishonesty and drama that goes around um, when you're in active full-blown addiction. But when you're lying about your whole life, that creates a whole nother set of, I guess you could say problems. You know, people are asking you how you got sober and you know, I'm pulling out my soapbox and, you know, just making up the stories as I go, you know, like, um, went to AA, um, my recovery journey is faith-based. So I would, you know, give a lot of credit to my walk with God, or I would, you know, give someone else advice as to how to get sober. That happened a couple of times, which I'm kind of ashamed of, but you know what? I was telling that story to so many other people, but including myself. And I, I think that at some point I started believing what I was saying to some degree, like thinking, I know this isn't true what I'm telling them, but I am trying because I was always trying and constantly feeling, but I felt like it wouldn't be a good idea to tell people that, I was still drinking or I was still screwing up basically because that wouldn't make me credible. And that sounds so backwards as I say it, because there was nothing credible about me at the time. But in my mind, I was trying and I was getting there and I was going through a lot of the motions and the um, jumping through hoops that I was telling other people that I had did. But in reality, I had yet to do. and. The whole drama going through um, your mind that's already there when you are in active 
um, addiction, drinking in my case, it adds a whole nother set of problems. So you have to keep track of what you've told whom and that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, when I finally did get sober in 2013, it was a couple of years before I was honest with a lot of people in my life, um, including family that nope, it's, it's not six years or seven years. Like you think it's actually three years. And, um, that was a blow. That was a blow. And that's something that I had to talk to quite a few people about before, um, I started sharing my story publicly, which I don't think I started doing till 2015, 16, somewhere in there. So how did they take it? Did you have to build back trust for the second time? You know, I believe that I did. I avoided for quite a while saying what, you know, my actual date was until I believe I announced my five year on, um, in my blog and my website. And some people just never ask questions. And that's kind of coming back to me now as, as people read the book, you know, I had a close friend come to me and say, I didn't know how to handle that when I saw that it was only five years because I didn't feel like I should say to you, it's only been five years when really five years is huge, you know? So I think a lot of people just were kind of like confused. Like, so all those other times she wasn't sober, she was sober or because she was trying, she was calling it sobriety. So there's been some conversations about that and people that have felt hurt by one more lie and, Finally, um, at some point a couple years ago, I made sure that everybody knew, you know, like if you have questions about this, you need to talk to me. And I'm talking about close family members and close friends. And I just needed to make sure that everybody was on the same page with me, that those years, those three years that I pretended they were false. They were totally false. And I owned it. And my real date is November 6, two, or 7, 2000, I'm sorry, November 6, 2013. And that's my date. And there were other times when the angry alcoholic in me was like, I don't owe that number to anybody. That only matters to me. Or I'm the only one that has to care how many days of sobriety I have. But that's not fair. Because I was, I was telling a lot of people something totally false. And in order to gain back that credibility, I felt like I had to be totally honest. I could see too feeling like uh, it's hard to feel um, as invested and responsible, you know, years later for something that you've moved on mm-hmm. from. Yeah, like, it didn't matter to me <laughs> and to be gracious, that, right? The pain is fresh yeah. for the person just discovering yeah. it. And uh, that's, that's humility. I think that, you know, we always, I think you and I just said this before when we were talking, you know, I was always searching for that magic cure, magic pill that was going to take this away. And no one would ever have to know how much I struggled. And I think that was still in the back of my mind. Like if I could just like ease out of addiction and into normal life, basically, you know, drinking like a normal person, which was always the goal then this, we can just put this all behind us. And at the time you have no idea the depth of which you've hurt, you know, the people that you love the most and how hurt they are. And not only do 
I have to deal with the fact that, you know, there was a lot of lying and a lot of deceit and pretending. Those people are dealing with it for a second time because I know that there was a lot of times, especially probably my kids, my older kids and other people close to me were like, she's kind of acting like she's drinking, but she says she's sober, you know, and she's talking about it like she's sober. And in fact, one time I got in an argument with a friend that kind of accused me of that. And I said, so you're saying you don't think I can be this fun if I am not drinking. And, you know, immediately did what I was very good at, turning the problem around and making it their fault and not mine. Mm -hmm. And that's what it turned into a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of of recovery is about reshaping our own story, changing the way we see ourselves, looking back on the old stories we used to tell ourselves and examining them for truth or consistency, releasing the things that don't serve us, you know, rewriting new visions of our future, um, connecting the dots in our past. So in writing this memoir, was your recovery impacted? Did you discover, you know, new, new ways to view your story or new truths about yourself as you wrote this? I did. I did. So there's two sides of it. One of them, I'll, I'll start with the negative, I guess, or maybe it's really not a negative, but it was, it was hurtful. Um, so in, I'm a big journaler. I journal every day. Sometimes it's just what the weather was and what I had for breakfast, but most times it's, you know, what I, I try and focus more on events that happened the day before and how they made me feel. And I especially did that in early recovery because it was kind of key to seeing, you know, what triggers might be coming up or, you know, why did I go down that road and, you know, that rabbit trail of, you know, the way I felt that day because somebody made me feel something, but uh, I, in going back through all those journals, it was heartbreaking to me how I was sad for her. I was sad for the years that she was just in that panic of, I've got to get out of this, meaning the addiction. And I don't know how, and there's got to be a better way. And, you know, just frantically trying to keep it a secret, but then trying to keep up with, you know, all the lies. And I, I saw in back, and reading back through them, how many people I hurt and how hurt that woman was. And that was really hard. There was a lot of times where it was a pretty dark day in my office because I, you know, come across something that I remember thinking, you know, everything was always everybody else's fault, but I would read about, read what I had written and think, uh, no, you were, you were not a nice person. And that part was really hard. But on the positive side of it, in a lot of those same conversations in my journal, I saw that I was doing the best that I could. And to someone listening to this, they might not think that. But for who I was in that moment, I was doing everything I could just to stay, um, to keep my head above water, as they say. And I saw that everything that happened had to happen to get to where I am today to get to that day where I said, I'm done. I'm the kind of person that had to exhaust every resource of trying things my way. I can do it all by myself type of thinking. And I saw 
the people that were willing to stay with me all those years, you know, that kept coming back and their names would be, you know, in my journal as I penned something about that day. I saw how faithful my husband was when there's been so many times where I probably wouldn't have been able to take as much as what he did. And, you know, the same with a few friends. And I saw how my faith was increasing. It wasn't going away. It was, you know, I was relying more and more on my faith. And so that when that final day came, um, it wasn't forced. It was my choice because I feel like I had run the gauntlet of every possibility by then. Mm. So how do you align yourself now with who you were then? Because I can hear you almost separate yourself from the the sherry of those days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a completely different person or, I mean, do you, Uh, There's times where I look back on periods of my life and I feel like I was absolutely had abandoned myself and it was like my body was on rote. (laughs) It's hard to connect with that, with, with who I was, but I was in there somewhere. What did Mm -hmm. it feel like for you? Were you, were you asleep in there somewhere or, you know, was it another aspect of your personality kind of looming large? I I feel like my personality has has not really changed that much except for I mean one of my biggest fears over quitting drinking was that basically I wasn't going to be any fun anymore I love to have fun and I have a sense of humor and I'm you know sarcastic I'm looking at a card on my desk that someone recently gave me and it says everyone needs a sarcastic smart smart ass friend I hope it can I say that on here <laughs> everyone needs a sarcastic smart ass friend and I'm glad it's you and that card to me means the world to me because I can be that way and that didn't go away but I was frantic that it was but I've recently said that everything in like if I look back at my childhood which was you know it was a pretty good childhood my parents got divorced when I was a teenager which was really hard And we weren't real forthcoming about that information because, you know, this was in, in the early eighties and, you know, we were, we were people in the church that we felt like, or at least I watched my parents feel like, um, they weren't going to be good enough anymore. I can't really think of the right word for it. They were, you know, they were going to be looked down on and that transferred to me. And I felt immediately like I had something to hide. And that was kind of my first experience with that, like shame. And I, in hiding that, you know, I remember saying to my sweet mother-in-law when I met my husband, well, we were dating and we were, and then we were engaged. I, I told her that I was afraid that she might not want me in their family. And she was just totally astounded. She was like, what do you mean? And I, I felt like I was taking this darkness, this baggage with me over into this family that looked all American. I mean, they were dairy farmers with three boys growing up and I felt like I was going to taint that. And I think that even though it didn't, you know, go into alcoholism till probably started in my early thirties, that part of me was getting chipped away that whole time. And I never felt like I was enough. 
and that I was a good enough wife and mother, and I was always doubting myself. And that voice got louder through the years when, looking back, I had no reason to doubt myself. Um, it, it's really, it's, it's hard for me to think about. And I also look at, I don't really like the path I was on, um, like in my 30s, because I think I was kind of shallow. I'm ashamed to say it. I know I was shallow. And I don't know if I was always a very nice person, whereas this is a story in my head that I always compare it to. So I'll be driving down the road and I will see a person running and say this person is is heavy, you know, very overweight. The person I am today wants to open the window and just say, girl, you keep going. This is hard. I know it's hard. Look at you pushing yourself. That's what I want to do. The person 20 years ago or who am I kidding? 10 years ago probably would have just thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's out there doing that for everybody to see. She looks terrible. It's not a very nice person. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one of the gifts that recovery has brought me. I'm still myself. I, I can laugh. I can experience all the same things, but there's a depth to them. And I know when the right moment is to make a joke. And I also know when the right moment is not to. And just to have a a true appreciation more of who people are and their stories and just in a kinder, gentler way. And I don't think I've ever called myself gentle by any means, but I have surprised myself in that. So I, I like this version of me living authentically than the version that tried to keep all those things, you know, tamped down for so many years. The loving mother in me would would tell one of my kids who said someone was being unkind to them. I would say that says a lot about how that person sees themselves. And when you, you know, the example that you gave of of how you would have responded to seeing someone, you would judge them and maybe mm-hmm. ridicule them in your mind at least. Is that a clue as to how you saw yourself or what you feared other people thought about you? Oh, yes, definitely. I feel like back in back in those days, and I look at from like, like I was always had something to prove. I chose to get married when I was 18. So I'm doing this right after my parents got divorced. My mom got married when she was 18. So you can imagine how thrilled they were about this new thing I was going to do. I. I always felt like I had to prove something, like I had to give an explanation, like, you know what, that might not have been right for you, but it's right for me. But deep down, I was scared to death. I'm like, is this the right thing to do? I'm not sure. You know, 37 years later, I'm really glad that we did. But just anything like that, like I felt like I always had to be the best or I wasn't going to participate, you know, in just about anything I did, whether it be a career or a hobby or the way my my children looked, you name it. I was competitive and I never wanted anybody to see below the surface. And that's all anybody got was the surface. They didn't get the genuine me. And I don't even think I knew who that was back in the day. And I think that's why drinking was such a, I mean, I, I realized very quickly that it became a way to make, to, to soften the edges. Life was so sharp, you know, words, you know, exchanged with a 
a teenager, they're hurtful. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, the perfect mom. Why would, why would any of them talk to me that way? What have I done wrong? And, you know, you hear that right away. And, you know, I just said, what have I done wrong? It wasn't always all me, but I figured it was something I was doing wrong. And I can't even imagine being, you know, like a young mom and in the age of, you know, Instagram where everything always does look perfect on the outside, but that's kind of how I, how I look at it. Even though it wasn't on social media, I just made sure that anybody that looked at Sherry Hoppin was only going to see perfection and letting down that wall was a big part of getting into, you know, sobriety because it wasn't just putting down the booze. It was putting down every coping skill I had was in that battle. And to go forward without it and meant vulnerability and being authentic. And I didn't know how to do that. I just didn't know how to do that. So it was definitely a learning experience. And how have you learned? (laughs) Well, you just come right at me with that. (laughs) How have I learned um, to coin every AA phrase. I mean, seriously, one day at a time, one experience at a time and being very, very intentional about what I say yes to and what I say no to. And I would say the number one thing I've learned is to not be reactive to anything or anyone without giving it, you know, a little thought and a little time. Um, I was that person that always quickly fired back the email, the text, or the words. And I've just learned to take a pause. And every time I do that, I find out something more about myself. And again, with like journaling, I love to look back. I always keep my journal from the year before by me. And I always like to look at, you know, a year ago today. And those are all things that I've learned from, you know, I, I remember, um, a case where, so it was the 4th of July and I was pretty newly sober. So it was probably the summer, you know, I got November. So probably like summer, 2014, I hadn't been sober quite a year yet. 4th of July morning, I got up early and I went for a bike ride because I wanted to. And, um, we were, you know, where we were at the time, We'd been, you know, we were camping or at a cottage and everybody else was still in bed 4th of July morning because it was on a, on a weekend. So there'd been quite the party the night before, which I had stayed away from and had a big pity party for myself the night before while I stayed inside and everybody had fun around the fire, which I could have gone out to if I wanted to, but I think I thought I was hurting them too. I don't know. It was pretty twisted, but I had a big pity party. I remember thinking, you know. I'll show them I just won't go outside. And instead I just fell asleep like at nine o'clock and I'm up early the next morning going for a bike ride. And I am just exhilarated because this is who I am now. I feel great. There's no hangover. I am going to enjoy this holiday today. The 4th of July was my dad's birthday too. So I just had great expectations. And as I'm sailing along, I fell like literally just a stupid fall. Didn't unclip my shoes on time. So there I am, you know, I got skin knees and I remember just picking up my bike and throwing it like 
into the weeds for a minute, which was really stupid, but it was just, I was so mad that that happened because I was doing everything right. And I look back at that now and I remember reading about that a year later and going, boy, you've learned a lot since then (laughs) because I thought it through and was like, well, that was stupid. First of all, that bike was expensive that you threw and had to, you know, get back up. And, and, And a year later, I'm looking at it going, and those, um, those knees, they healed, they scabbed over, you know, and they look pretty good again. And, but the bigger picture was that maybe I needed to take that fall because I was getting awfully confident again. And that probably wasn't a healthy thing to do. It was a, you know, look at me and I, I'm, I'm able to do this while everybody else is hung over feeling a little holier than thou about the whole situation. And I think that, you know, I look at it as maybe a God thing. He might've been like, mm, I'm going to need to put a little obstacle on the road there. She needs to fall. She needs, she needs to be brought back to reality. And that's exactly what it did because I came home and I was humbled. You know, I, 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 that story in my mind sticks out as probably one of the biggest learning things. And every time I look back on something like that, I see how I've grown in it. Or, and if I haven't grown enough in my eyes, I look at how I could do better in that. There's an expression I love. uh, Everything may not always happen for a purpose, but everything happens with potential. Exactly. I like that too. There's a lot of potential in that. (laughs) How has your family responded to the book? I imagine that's probably the audience, you know, that you're, you were most excited and maybe a little nervous about how they felt about it. I was so nervous. I was so, I can't even, when I think it was January or early February, I got a notice from the publisher. These people need to, these are people's names that are being used in the book and you need to have them sign off. And it's really hard to ask somebody to do that that hasn't read it. So I would say that it was different with everyone when they read it. I mean, my mother-in-law, she said, it's painful. And I get that. I mean, that's her son that's walking through this with me. And, you know, I get that as a mom. So, you know, but then she said, you know, but there's so much joy, you know, in recovery as well. Um, My dad was like, I can't believe you. Like what? Oh my goodness. You know, and like the parent thing with, you know, like, I can't believe you did all that, but also going, thank goodness, almost like, thank goodness. I didn't know all of it. And here you are today. I think my kids were probably the most, um, of all three of them, very different, very different reactions. Um, my youngest, um, she's 25 and and she's a therapist And so she's very analytical and she said it was, you know, she said she used great description. You know, she was like, it was, it was incredible. It was so hard at some points to read your story. And there was, she said, what I'm seeing is that for every child, they don't realize that between your parents, there's another backstory going on that usually you never know anything about. And she said, and here's the backstory right here. This was all going on in 
our home and she was, she's 10 years um, younger than the other two. And she's like, I was clueless. And, you know, I, I, I said to her, I said, it's kind of a gift for me to hear you <laughs> say that, that, you know, you were clueless. Like, thank you. All the times that I thought I ruined you, you know? And so that was really, that's, that was a really interesting take on it. This whole, you know, there's a backstory because I've said that to quite a few people and everybody's kind of gone, you know, yeah, there is. And I thought about my own parents. There was a huge backstory going on. All I knew is they were getting divorced. I didn't know anything about behind it. I was a kid, you know, so it wasn't information I should have been privy to anyway. But I just thought that was a super interesting and mature take on it. And my son, he just signed the paper. I said, well, don't you want to read it? He goes, no. I really don't. And I, you know, at first I was like, okay. And he goes, mom, I had a great time growing up. I don't want to read about every time you were drunk at something. And I said, A, that's not what the book is. I said, it's really not. And I said, so, um, I said, in fact, there's a couple of things out of your life that, you know, I used with like you playing football and, you know, there's a couple analogies in there that I think you'll really enjoy. And he goes, I'll read it when I'm ready, but I have no problem with, I trust whatever you wrote. And about a month later, he read it and it was like four in the morning. And I woke up to a text that he sent out like four in the morning and said, mom, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I just got done with the book. And yeah, that was really cool. And my oldest daughter, she was probably the most affected, you know, growing up with my, you know, with my drinking, she was the oldest and we butted heads and I think, you know, in there, I talk about, you know, the moment where she asked me if my drinking was her fault, which absolutely it's not. And I, you know, explained to her, I said, there is, there is parts with you in it, but it's not about our dirty laundry and our, our history of our fighting while you were growing up. I said, that's, that's not what made me drink. And, you know, that's not what the book is about. There's no reason to keep, you know, to rehash all that. So I know that there was some relief there for all of them when they realized that, you know, it wasn't our families, every squabble and every fight. And, you know, like I said, airing our dirty laundry, that's not what it was about. So there was a lot of relief there. So it was a different walk with each of them and my in-law kids, you know, they're super proud and supportive. So I, I feel like, at the end of the day, it's probably best case scenario, you know, for, um, when your mom writes a book, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> like, they've all been, and they did say they'd all been nervous for a couple of years, like mom's writing a book. Okay. I wonder what that's going to be like. And then mom got a contract and, you know, it's like nobody really ever asked. So I feel like there was an underlying tension for a couple of years that needed to be addressed. Because when it was coming out, it was coming out. And then it was really time to talk about it. So I wish we would have addressed it sooner than um, waiting till it was time for the book to come out. Sherry, before you go, take a minute to talk about She Surrenders and your uh, women's group. And also how everyone can find you and get your book, Sober Cycle. Okay. Okay. Well, She Surrenders kind of started out of a moment where I had been asked to um, tell my story. I hadn't done any speaking. I'd done lots of speaking, but not about my addiction. The you know, So I was being asked to speak about the very thing I'd frantically worked to hide for so many years. 
and I did it and it was really freeing. It was hard. And if I listen back to it, I'm just kind of like horrified because it sounds so heavy. It's like, hi, I'm sure I'm alcoholic and this is what happened, you know? And now I, I don't talk that way. That's not me. And I find a lot of joy in my story. But from that, I started getting a few, you know, emails from other women that were, you know, in the same situation and in my area just kind of led to, um, some blogging cause I love to write and that led to the website. She surrenders and it's where I encourage women to, um, tap in and find some resources. And, um, the theme there is definitely faith-based recovery, but, I used to work for a ministry and it's the ministry that I did the, the bike ride for that I talk about in the book and their mission statement was loving people through life's most important decisions and loving people through crisis. And and that's how I kind of look at what was happening there and what's happening at She Surrenders. We just want to just surround you and, you know, support you. And you're going to find another woman there um, that's going through the same thing, if not me. So, you know, I answer a lot of emails and try and post a lot of resources and things like that. And then from that, we have a um, secret Facebook group called Joyful Surrender. And we talk a little bit in the group on Facebook, but mostly we have a Monday night Zoom meeting every week. And that's open to, you know, anybody that has joined Joyful Surrender. And we, we try to keep it for an hour, but it never goes an hour, you know, you know how that goes, but (laughs) yeah, we just went through that. But the, I just, it's just this group of women from all over the U S that have become some of my closest friends. In fact, um, this past Saturday night, I got to speak at a concert. It was like one of the first events we've had in a year and a half. And I was just introduced and with my book and one of my girls that doesn't live very far away from me from Joyful Surrender showed up there. And it was such a wow moment. I can't even tell you what that felt like. And I just felt like it was a full circle moment, you know, of connecting to that, you know, sober sister. And I've always said that like in grief, um, you don't want, when you've experienced a loss, especially a tragic loss, to be able to have somebody say, I know how you feel because they've walked down that same road. That's, that's what you're looking for in recovery. You want to stand with someone or talk with someone that says, I know how you feel because you really can't explain it to someone that hasn't been through it. So I feel like that's a big part of She Surrenders. And from the blog writing um, came the book. And I've always wanted to write Um, growing up. I never knew what I was going to write about, but then I feel like God gave me a really good topic. So I better use it. And it's a bit humorous at times because I did so many backward things to try to recover. I mean, you read the book, so you know. And um, yeah, so the book Sober Cycling, Pedaling Through Recovery One Day at a Time kind of is just a product of everything that I just talked about here. And it is on Amazon. It is at shesurrenders.com. It's on all the major booksellers, Books a Million, Barnes and Nobles, 
and all that. So um, I would love it if uh, you could add it to, to your uh, Quitlet uh, list. And I will make sure there's a link in the show notes for the book. If someone wants to join your Facebook group, do they message you through your website? Yes. Yep. Just reach out to me through my website. And I'm also on um, Facebook and Instagram as uh, She Surrenders. So pretty easy to find, I think. But yeah, I, I answer every email that I get and just um, talk with other women about, you know, what they want to do going forward. And we just go from there. Sherry, thanks for being here and congrats on your book. It's great. I enjoyed it. You're right. There's a lot of funny things. I love the image of you learning to ride and and <laughs> taking on this challenge. <laughs> yeah, you know, I recently kind of just went back through it a little bit myself and it's been quite a while, you know, since I wrote it and there's things that I'm like, I can't believe I did that. So yeah, if I guess if I find them unbelievable, so will you. So, but it happened and it's, it's a story that I'm very willing to share and just pray that it gets in the right hands. So I really appreciate you having me here, Jean. It's been a pleasure as usual. It's been good to talk to you. Good to hear your voice. And thank you for being here. And listeners, check the show notes for links to shesurrenders.com and Sherry's book and enjoy learning more about Sherry. That's all for this week. Thanks for being here, everyone. Until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame. You're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays in wait there To rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on You can shine When you see old I did that Not proud but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power. Oh, yes, head on. You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to confession every ears. The person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror. And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you miss head on When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.